he keeps healing and so much healing and healing and healing. And he casts out demons and he calms storms and he, you mean, he heals the woman who's been bleeding. He raises mm. a girl from the dead. Like, and it's just packed with all these miracle things to show that Jesus is the king over anything, even death, right? Before he mm. even goes to the cross, he raises a girl from the dead. I think it's, it, uh, that just plays into what you're saying that the fact that even the spirits recognize him and know that he is the king over creation. He is coming to establish his kingdom. Hello, welcome to the Pondercast, where it's okay to think differently about the Bible and theology. Let's get pondering. Hello, welcome back to the Pondercast. My name is Perry Siddons, and as always, I'm joined by Drew Petker. Drew, how are you this week? I'm good. However, I realize we often say, as always, joined by, and then we say the other person's name. That's not always the case. Sometimes we're joined by other people. So we we need to figure out a different entry. Maybe just something like, and once again, I'm joined by, but not as always. As most other times. There we go. That works. (laughs) Well, we're back. people care. We're here. We're talking about the Gospel of Mark today. Yes, we are. I'm excited yeah. about it. Oh, that's good. We're we're in our episode two of our little mini series on the Gospels, talking about who Jesus is in the Gospels. I think in my studying, I got more uh, sidetracked on other things, um, and so hopefully, we actually talk about <laughs> Jesus in these episodes. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited about this one because this one actually have a book specifically on Jesus <laughs> in the book of Mark. And I'll, I'll title that right for us right at the beginning here. It's called Jesus is King by Tim Keller. Or I think it formally was produced as King and Cross or King's Cross, I believe, mm-hmm. by Tim Keller. That was, but it's basically an outline of Jesus through the book of Mark. So mm-hmm. it doesn't Saint mean I have all Tim the answers. St. Tim Keller, sure. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, so I'm excited. I actually had a resource on this one, so that's kind (laughs) of nice. It doesn't happen very often that you have a resource specifically on the topic we're talking about. Sometimes, but not very often. Hmm. The thing I find with the Gospel of Mark is, okay, first of all, let let me start this off with saying, for many years, I didn't actually like reading the Gospels. I liked, and I still like reading Paul. But for some reason, I found the Gospels a little boring because, it's, you know, what, what do we get out of this? <laughs> mm. uh, what, what theological things can we mine? That was, my, that was my question. Other people say, what, what, can I, what kind of application can I draw from this? My question is, what kind of theology? <laughs> right. And, uh, and actually, the last few years, I'm, I've been blown away by the... Uh, the theological richness from the from the gospels uh and now with mark it's it's very interesting because it just seems like this just the story of jesus but yet when in my research i've been finding that that, that the author of mark is actually very intentional uh in how pardon me i said author of mark mark is the author I was going to question. I was going to question you on that. I was like, "What do you mean, the author of Mark? How's how's that playing out?" But he's very intentional uh, about how he's setting up everything, even in the first few chapters. And this is a very fast-paced book. Yeah, sixteen chapters. 
I think the word and is in every sentence. This is a, this is a book that uh, if you're learning Greek, you translate this one. This is one of the first ones you translate. Anyways, I, uh, when I, when I started learning Greek last year, this is what we translated because it's, it's pretty simple Greek, relatively simple Greek. Right. And I noticed how many ands there are. Every So I got to know the Greek word for and quite well because of the gospel mark. Hmm, interesting. It's quite so interesting. Uh, what are some of your preliminary thoughts? Or maybe you um, just want to get into it. Uh, we could just get into it. I just found it really interesting looking at uh, like the literary... And this isn't our topic for today, so we don't have to get into it. But how he writes the book is really interesting. Like, like how he takes certain events and kind of, um, what's it called? Chiastically structures it in some, and like kind of like sandwiches two events into two other things. So that's really interesting. And I don't know, it's, it's a really cool book and how he writes it, I think. But I guess we don't really have to get into that because it has nothing to do with what oh, our topic is. Go ahead. Oh, Okay. Well, it's just like it's laid out really interestingly in that he separates into two kind of sections. Hmm. And this is this is from King Cross. When I read that book, I realized, oh, like, yeah, it makes sense. And the first like first eight chapters focus on Christ being king. Hmm. And then the last nine to 16 focuses on more so the cross and the suffering servant of Christ. So I guess it does actually tie in nicely to our topic topic here Hmm. unintentionally i guess but but uh and if you read it and kind of look at the events and just kind of read see what's happening you can you can see how mark is jesus is the king but also he's a suffering servant and it breaks up really nicely in the book i think Hmm. it's quite interesting but we can get into a little deeper here in a little bit (laughs) so the first thing that i want to bring up and this is where i got caught up on most of my research was chapter one verses one to three so we're not getting very far today, is what you're telling me. <laughs> well, I, tr- I won't uh, dwell on this too long, I hope. But the but I thought that it was actually there's a lot of background here, a lot of Old Testament background, obviously because uh, it says the beginning of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. So we these first uh, so verse two and three are Old Testament quotations. Now Drew. Do you do you know about verses two and three? That um, oh, it, so it says as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, but where is that quotation actually found? That citation is actually found. I don't know where is it found, Perry? <laughs> is that Isaiah forty in Malachi? Really, Malachi three. Malachi three verse three is from Isaiah forty. So, so it's a so it's a reference of a reference is what you're saying then. Uh, like it's found in Malachi and Malachi, that passage is found in Isaiah. Is that what you're telling saying? So this is this is what uh, some scholars say about this because uh, you know why is Mark mixing this up or or they're saying this is a corruption in the manuscript. Uh, so there's actually the the manuscripts the Greek text that is underlying the King James version actually says as, as it's written in the prophets, because they think that like that's um, there's two different manuscript traditions that say uh, as it's written in Isaiah, the prophet, or as it's written in the prophets, because they think that's a mistake for him to say 
as it's written in Isaiah the prophet. So this is what scholars have done with this. <clears throat> They're saying that this is, um, it's, it be, it's, it's a fusion of words from actually Exodus and Malachi. So he's taking uh, the, a theme, a major eschatological theme from Isaiah, which plays into with, with Malachi. I just need to read this uh, because it, what they say is much more profound than what I'm trying to butcher here. <clears throat> so they ask, is he confused? The, the apparent mistake has sometimes been taken as evidence that Mark is actually, op is actually quoting from a primitive collection of messianic testimonies rather than directly from the Old Testament passages. So they think that he's taking kind of a paraphrase and, and almost a, uh, yeah, I'll say paraphrase of, of those texts. And uh, it is more likely, however, that Mark's attribute, uh, attribution of the mixed citation of the prophet Isaiah reflects not ignorance, but theological intentionality. Mark's use of the Isaiah inscription here signals that the conceptual framework for his people is the Isaianic New Exodus. <clears throat> so he's what he's getting at here, this is what he writes. Mark signals to his readers that the good news in verse 1, the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be read within the matrix of Isaiah's prophetic vision. God will return to Zion and restore Israel. Now this is what he's this is what he's getting at here. Um, <clears throat> he's saying that actually, where it says, "Behold, I will send my messenger," that is actually connected as well to Exodus, because in Exodus, it says, "I will send my angel before your face," and in the Greek text, in the Septuagint, of that that is actually um, very similar to mark 2 1 2 here rather than actually malachi so i'm sending my angel before your face and so he's um uh this is taken from a passage in which god speaking with moses on mount sinai promises to send an angel or a messenger to lead israel into the promised land of canaan so that that's so fascinating because this because then Isaiah takes that, that theme of Exodus. Uh, and this is something I learned last summer, where you see these themes of Exodus, where God is going to, where God's going to take his people out and redeem them. And, and so he's, and so Mark is taking on that theme of Isaiah's Exodus. And John the Baptist is leading the way to the, is declaring the new Exodus and, uh, and and another scholar, I'm going to try and wrap up my thoughts here soon. Another scholar says that Mark sees in Jesus the presence of Yahweh. Uh, how does he put this? Jesus is the one through whom Yahweh's delivering personal presence and kingly reign is manifest. So this is uh, Yahweh's coming. Israel's mm -hmm. Lord is is Jesus is manifested in Jesus? Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a lot there. Maybe I'll just add on to it if that's okay. <laughs> Can I just add on to? Yeah. To, to to kind of strengthen that idea, within like the first um, couple chap. Well, actually, the first chapter there, we get the baptism of Jesus, right? 
Mm. And it's really interesting. I was kind of doing some research, and this, this ties into what you were saying, so this is important. But uh, yeah, <laughs> okay, uh, it's not just random. Right. Um, but it says the Holy Spirit ascended like a, descended like a dove, mm. and the word there or fluttered or this kind of idea. And it's interesting because I was reading. Um, I can't remember which text I was reading. I was reading one of my books here, and it says that word the descending or fluttering or was a boat or hovering is directly the same word in the beginning of creation where the Holy Spirit was hovering mm. over the waters mm. and through the Targums and the Aramaic translations of the Hebrew scriptures, we could, they, they say, yeah, it's the same word used and Mark isn't doing it by accident. It's on purpose to say, likewise, when creation came, the King Christ was there with the triune God and created everything. And now to reconcile Christ with the triune God is again coming to reconcile everything. And so there's this, it's, it's connection back to Genesis as well. in that this is bringing about the new creation. This is bringing about the reconciliation from mm-hmm. man to God as it was in the beginning. And it's interesting because we, we read Mark and we don't really see these connections yeah. because we don't understand. And we go off what other people have researched. So I encourage people to mm-hmm. research that. Cause like, you I mean one book might say that the other book might say that's a misinterpretation of the text. So I thought it was an interesting point to make. I don't know. I haven't done enough research on it to be like, yeah, I, can't, I firmly believe that it, mm. in, but it seemed to make sense and seemed to um, have some log logistical kind of reasoning behind it. But like mm. I said, I, there might be a flaw in that, that theory too, but I thought it was interesting if nothing else. And it ties back to the idea of it's, it's, Jesus is the exodus of Israel or of Isaiah, right? Is that what you're saying? And, and, say, and similarly, Jesus is now the reconciliation, the new creation, bringing mm-hmm. this forth, this reconciliation uh, to all of humanity. So I it's interesting the, the Old Testament ties into Mark, right. especially in the first chapter of it. <laughs> right. Mark doesn't have a birth narrative like Matthew yeah. and Luke. It's almost like where is where does this Jesus come from and uh scholars say that actually mark or no pardon me Matthew and Luke borrow a lot of their material from mark so that's why there's a lot of similarities between the two books but so then the implication of that is that mark was written first and it's just here's Jesus <laughs> yeah. Yahweh has appeared um and and I'm thinking that the gospel writers probably had in mind that the new that the new Exodus, pardon me, let me say that, let me reverse that. The new creation is the new Exodus, mm-hmm. or the new exile, whatever it may be. And let me just add this thought because this is fascinating. I love this. Uh, th- I'm reading from Richard Hayes, <clears throat> his book Echoes of Scripture in the Gospels. By echoing this passage. Uh, Exodus, Malachi, Isaiah. Mark artfully hints that the, uh, that John the Baptist is not only a voice of judgment, but also the forerunner of a new entry into the land of promise. There's this dichotomy mm. that judgment's coming, but it's also good news. That's what it says the good news, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Further. The quote, I will send my angel, my messenger before your face, is a word of promise signifying protection, victory, and the end of wilderness wandering. It also suggests, however, that the progress of the gospel of God into the world may be, like the occupation of Canaan, 
the beginning of a campaign against hostile forces now in possession of the land. Well, what does that mean for the Gospel of Mark? This suggestion is is amply confirmed by the narrative that follows, in which Jesus launches an offensive against demonic powers who perceive immediately that Jesus has come to destroy them. Yeah. Oh, that's good stuff. (laughs) Well, and that that ties in perfectly to um, what Tim Keller says, and the idea, like, it's in the first eight chapters, Mark is saying Jesus is the king over everything. And you see that in the first eight chapters. Mark has the most miracles of any other gospel hmm, hmm. of Jesus. Okay. And that's on, that's on purpose, right? And like right hmm. out of the gate, if you just, and I know this probably isn't the best way to do it, but I'm just going to do it this way anyway. <laughs> if you just read like the headings in your Bibles, you can see like, <laughs> do you mean you can see the works of Christ, right? It's like drives on impure spirit, heals many, forgives, heals, heals paralyzed person, right? It's like, he keeps healing and so much healing and healing and healing. And he casts out demons and he calms storms and he, you mean, heals the woman who's been bleeding. He raises mm. a girl from the dead. Like, and it's just packed with all these miracle things to show that Jesus is the King over anything, even death, right? Before he mm. even goes to the cross, he raises a girl from the dead. I think it's, mm. I don't know, uh, chapter five. But, and so like it, uh, that just plays into what you're saying that that um, the fact that even the spirits recognize him and know that he is the king over creation. He is coming to establish his kingdom, which I think is really interesting. And Mark really presses into that and kind of touches all facets of creation, I think, in showing how Jesus does miracles, right? And even like he feeds... 5,000 then feeds 4,000 later. Like he does all these miracles. But I thought it was really fascinating that Mark does have the most miracles hmm. of any other gospel because hmm. that's the point he's trying to get across. Right? He's trying to get a point across that he has the power. But interestingly enough... He's got the power. He's got, yeah. We can edit that out. That's embarrassing. <laughs> um, but interestingly, though, Mark also highlights the humanity of Christ quite well as well, like, hmm. too, because he talks about Christ if you go through a list of the feelings that Jesus presents in the gospel of Mark, it's, you know, he has the anger, the sympathy, the compassion, the love, the mm. caring, the frustration, the anxiety. And so it's really interesting. Like the Mark, I, th- I think, and I don't know for sure, but between chapters one and eight and nine and 16 separate into two groups, I think Mark really tries to touch on like the hypostatic union of Christ, the being of, fully god fully man and and trying not to understand it Hmm. but just bringing it together like fully human but fully god the king of the universe but still just still a man fully Hmm. man so i thought that was really interesting and um something worth pointing out and i got to use the word hypostatic union so that's (laughs) that's always a bonus oh yeah well that that is interesting I'll I'll go back again to <laughs> the first verse where it says the uh, the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. I mean that phrase right there emphasizes that He is King. Yeah, uh, because that's a term used in the first century even to talk about the King of David, or pardon yeah. me, the King of David, the Son of David. <laughs> right. Yeah. <sighs> I need to drink more coffee. But but um, you, I was just know, thinking, sorry, why is 
this thought just came to my head a while uh, a little while ago is that um it, it like uh, like we were saying earlier that there's no birth narrative it's almost as if mark is emphasizing jesus's prophet we call him prophet priest and king the other gospels yeah. emphasize that though but in every uh prophetic book really you, you have no birth narrative uh it's just hmm. here he is here's the prophet right and they're teaching that Jesus, or that God is coming, that God is uh, going to do something, and I think Mark really emphasized, and and I think mm-hmm. that plays into the humanity part of it, right? Yeah, yeah, that this is the prophet that you need to listen to. Well, I mean, all the other prophets you need to listen to, but this, but like I was saying earlier, this that is this the is, prophet, that this is actually God in your midst, and yep. it's this prophetic ministry of God is really interesting. I do remember. Yeah. Um, in my first year of college, when, uh, when we were challenged uh, to read the Bible in a month, and I remember reading the prophets and then getting into, say, probably the Matthew, but it still works here, and thinking, wow, I really am getting that prophetic ministry of Jesus here. Because mm-hmm. after just reading the prophets, probably a few days before that, and uh, finding that really interesting. That is very interesting. Do you think that's why Mark didn't doesn't put a? I didn't find any like reasoning why Mark wouldn't put a genealogy. But do, do you know? Do you figure that's why to highlight the? Uh, the I have no scholarly support for that. That was no, me something either. that came into my head. No, that, you're a scholar. That's scholarly support enough, Perry. <laughs> I'll give it to you. It's um, a theory, and it's not yeah. something I would preach. I want to do some more studying on that before I, that's just, that's just for our brains to percolate on a little bit and uh, to do some studying. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting that the title, we talked about the, the titles in Mark and how you said the, um, like right off the bat, the Messiah, right? The son of God. It's interesting how the, the title of Jesus and Mark kind of progressively excuse me like it's almost progressively given and hmm. this is some this is uh once again not my knowledge but it was is from this book king and cross he says at the beginning it's the messiah the son of god and then at jesus's baptism it's you are my son right the father speaking so it's hmm. like kind of affirm and then later like the like you said when he drives out impure spirits they say you are the Holy one. You are the son of God, right? It's like demons saying you are the son of God mm. and it keeps going. And finally, when Peter's confession in, in chapter eight, he says, you are the Christ, right? You are the, the he kind of like realizes what's happening. here. And so it's kind of like the progression of who Jesus is through Mark. And like I said, I think that, that I, I think it ties back to this idea like Jesus is the king of creation and like it's kind of all drawing back to that idea which i think is really interesting i'm just really kind of um hung up on that idea because i think it's really <laughs> cool i think it's really cool well that he does in the gospels jesus always refers to well in in matthew mark and luke anyways he always refers to himself as the son of man and yeah. uh we're gonna hopefully do an episode on, of that in a few weeks uh right. but the, i i think that there's a lot of Old Testament image, uh, uh, Old Testament um, 
what am I trying to say here? Theological importance, I suppose, wrapped up into that term where he's, there's a lot of convergence there between son of David, Messiah, you know, all, I mean, that's only yeah. two, but that's all I yeah. can think of. But it ties into Daniel too. Like, right. Exactly. Quite, quite. No, exactly. I, I, I did a little bit of research on that too. Yeah. It speaks. Yeah. Cause Daniel says one, like the son of man, right. In mm-hmm. is Daniel seven, I think. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I've, I did research in the son of man last year in Daniel, but more specifically in Luke and Acts, because I was working in Acts. Mm-hmm. So I can't really speak to uh, how Mark's it's used in Mark. Specifically? Yeah, but yeah, I mean, sure. it's, but there's similarities because scholars say, obviously Luke used Mark as well uh, for one of his sources. And so there are some of those overlaps. But before we uh, have to wrap up here, unless there's anything else you wanted to well, I got one more thing to say because okay. I didn't talk about it because it's kind of more negative. But um, <laughs> if you do read from chapters 9 to 16 in Mark, there's not a lot of like positive vibes going on. You know, like, there's a couple like healings <laughs> here and there, but like it's pretty, uh, I don't want to say negative, but I mean, you have the transfiguration, but then Jesus predicts his death three times, right? Talks about the end times, a couple parables, mm-hmm. and then he's in the garden. And there's not a whole lot of like light, I guess. I don't know how, like not a little optimism here. It's kind of, mm. cause you kind of see what's happening. And I think that is to show us the suffering servanthood of Christ in mm. the gospel of Mark. I think that's very intentional in Mark's kind of um, how he writes it because you don't see much, like he teaches a little bit, but it's not like a prominent, like it's there, but it's not as much as like Matthew or Luke as far as the mm. teaching. And you look at the, the things that are omitted from Mark opposed to Matthew and Luke. And it's, it's just interesting how that's kind of the focus is Jesus, the suffering servant who will, is going to die on the cross. And that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a, an interesting kind of um, end to it, but even though it doesn't end there, but I just thought I talked a lot about the kingship of Christ. I thought, well, it's not really fair to not talk about <laughs> the suffering servant of Christ. It's there too. Right. It's it pretty goes- hard. It's it goes hard to together, miss. though. Yeah, it does. Totally. I just thought I didn't talk about it also. That's why mm. I thought I'd throw it in there because it is there. But So this sorry. is a big question in uh, studies of Mark. Uh, in the last chapter of Mark, in chapter 16, if you look at your Bible, maybe this isn't in your Bible, but in my Bible it says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include the last uh, uh, 12 verses, 9 to 20. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that? Do you think that was added later? I have a lot of thoughts. I don't know how many are popular view, though. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I always have a problem with texts like that because we say, oh, yeah, it might be there. It might not be there. But if it's there, it's definitely inerrant. (laughs) But if it's not there, then it might not be inerrant. And I'm like, (laughs) right. Well, yeah, how do you get that? That's how something that I don't understand. How do we get? And this is all biblical inerrancy now, but I mean, it, so but it's interesting though because it, it's just we get into this weird spot of like whether it's inerrant or not, and mm-hmm. it's like, well, it might not even be there. Well, how can you say it's inerrant? Like, how can you say there's no error in that if it may or may not be there? It just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. What do you do with it? It's, I don't know. Actually, I heard somebody speak to this last year. Saying, well, why did you ask me then if you heard someone speak on it? Because I wanted to know what you thought. Oh, I don't know. My thoughts are because I've done both most of the talking in this episode. <laughs> uh, my my thoughts are all enwrapped in inerrancy there. So I mean, I just have a problem with how do you how do you say our Bible's inerrant if we don't know if it's there or not? Anyways, sorry, you heard someone talk on it. Well, they just briefly said that a lot of the fathers uh, said included in in their writings. And so uh, that is a pretty solid evidence that this is original to Mark because a lot of the fathers uh, had it, it like they, they included in the writings they, or they wrote on the last few, these last few verses of Mark. So if, and, and, and why is that significant is because they're closer to the time of the writing of Mark it was already being circulated that early. And so when would they, when would it have been added? You know, they probably would have known that it was added something like that. Right. I mean, overall, it doesn't really affect the narrative of Mark. I mean, it adds more to what Jesus says after he's risen. No, that's kind of where he gives the great commission, I guess you could say. Um, But I mean, we have all the other gospels to kind of highlight that as well. So, I mean, perhaps if we didn't have the other Gospels, it'd be like a little more weird. It'd be like, what? That actually happened? Did not happen? We kind of know from other Gospels that... Yeah, your point about inerrancy and inspiration inspiration, uh, is that somebody was probably... I mean, Mark obviously... I think Mark wrote this. But if he didn't, somebody was led by the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I mean, that's... The it's author of a, Mark. The in, author of Mark was written, wrote this part, <laughs> not Mark himself. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we better wrap it up there. Well, I guess we could. I mean, people are probably sick of hearing you talk. So. <laughs> oh, <ouch>. <laughs> yeah, let's wrap it up there, Perry. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. Before we wrap it up, I want to give a shout out to Clark Caldwell because. He wanted me to give him a shout out on this program. So I did. Who's that? <laughs> just a friend of mine. Yeah. He just really wanted a shout out. I was like, yeah, I can All make right. that happen. I can probably well, make that happen. He's congratulations. like, congratulations. He said, don't do it. If you're not willing to actually do it. I was like, Oh, I'll do it. Don't you worry. <laughs> so there you go, Clark. I hope you're happy. Wow. That's some high privilege there. Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, everybody for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as we did recording it Uh, if you want to join the conversation please do we want to hear what you think about the gospel mark if there's anything that you found interesting during your years of reading it or something you wanted to add to this discussion we'd love to hear it or maybe you want to add something about the last few verses in mark Uh, you can Mm -hmm. do that on our facebook page on instagram uh, or biblical inerrancy biblical inerrancy if you feel like it yeah, exactly. Uh, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcast. As we've said before, this is how we get the podcast out there. We'd really appreciate it if you would help us out in that way. Uh, and until next week, keep pondering.